0: Good Samaritan and Build Your House Upon the Rock are stories that present divine morals for daily living. Join us as we discover God's truth through the stories in Luke. We're just uh, in the end of this series, actually, a series through the Gospel of Luke where we're looking at uh, quite a few of the parables, and uh, we've called this series The Moral of the Story. And what we've been doing is examining the words of Jesus as they relate to the kingdom of God. Um, assumptions. Yeah, we have that definition about assuming things, right? Some of you know that. Uh, assumptions uh, are, are a terrible thing. Uh, I, there's a story that uh, is, is hilarious. It's about a preacher. There's quite a few stories hilarious about preachers, but this one's not about me. Uh, it's about another preacher, and uh, this preacher was uh, accompanying uh, one of our missionaries that we support, Ajay Law, in India. And so uh Ajay told us this story when we were in India with him in 2002. Several of us preachers went over there to assist in a a teaching campaign, and uh, he uh, was very adamant that we did not attempt to speak any of the Hindi language. The Hindi language is a tonal language, unlike ours, so the word can look the same and maybe spell out the same, but the tonal inflections may change the uh, definition of that word dramatically. Uh, as is the case that I'm about to tell you. So uh, some years prior to that, to us being there, another preacher had come with Ajay, and they were teaching in a remote village area. Uh, Jesus and the gospel had not been presented to these people. <clears throat> and so after several days of teaching, uh, there were some people who uh, wanted to give their life to Jesus. And so there was a river nearby, and the village and the preacher and Ajay, and the missionary, and these new... New converts had, had, had marched their way down uh, to uh, see these baptisms take place in the river. And so Ajay, the missionary, is out into the water, and he's baptizing these new believers. Uh, the preacher uh, is on the riverbank, and he assumed that he could speak the Hindi language correctly. And uh, he was attempting to say, bless you, my child. And so, as each person came up, he repeated this phrase in Hindi that he thought he was saying, bless you, my child, but what he was actually saying in the Hindi language was, bless you, my prostitute. Uh, Dramatically different meaning uh, to those people. And so, uh, the village elders, who were not believers at this point, uh, were very upset, and it took Ajay hours to convince uh, this, uh, these people, that they're, these new converts had not just been uh, uh, taken into some type of whatever you want to call that, uh, brothel or whatever. But anyway, the point is that uh, when uh, assumptions can, can have disastrous, disastrous uh, consequences, and all of us have made assumptions about things, and we've all got our stories, right? But uh, Jesus, throughout the gospels is always arguing with people about their assumptions about God and the kingdom that he is establishing. And so uh, Jesus is constantly trying to convince people and explain to people, uh, change their thinking about things, about themselves, and about God. Now there's one assumption that we probably have had within our own selves at some point in time, and it sounds something like this, if people really knew me they would reject me. If people really knew what I thought, what I did, where I've been, where I've come from, they would reject me. And so to fight back on that, we wear masks. We become... Uh, it, actually, the Greek word is hypocrite, which is the, name, which is the Greek word for actor. Uh, and so we begin to act a certain way, and that puts an enormous amount of pressure on who we are because we want to be accepted by someone. We even do this with God And that phrase sounds something like this within our minds. If God really knew me, he would reject me. And it's kind of uh, silly, isn't it? Because if you do believe in God, uh, we know that God knows everything. And he knows what's going on in our minds. But somehow we don't connect the dots on that. And we feel like we have to put on a front to God. And that puts an enormous amount of pressure. Because we believe God would reject us. Just like we believe people would reject us if they know who we were and what we've said and what we've done and where we've been and where we've come from, we, we feel like we would be unloved and unaccepted by God. Now, the parable, <laughs> parables today Luke 15 that we're going to read uh, are wrecking the assumptions that people have about themselves and what God thinks of them. Jesus is going to blow it up. And I hope that there are people here today who have wrong assumptions that are going to be blown up by the words of Jesus, because this is critical. I mean, there is no chapter in the Bible that best expresses uh, the, the heartbeat of God's kingdom as Luke 15. I mean, it is, an, it is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And so uh, we're going to uh, look at that in just a minute, but I need to explain the audience that Jesus has before him. So, uh, Zealots, Essenes, Sadducees, and Pharisees, they're all Jews. They're all part of Palestine. They're, they're all under the Roman occupation. And so, uh, when the Romans took over Judea, the Jews found themselves under an enormous amount of pressure on how to respond to this profane and pagan empire that they're living in. So they're living in a profane and pagan world, and each one of these groups is going to respond differently to their environment. Now, as I describe a little bit about how they view sinners, I want to see if you find your place in any one of these groups, okay? So first, let's talk about the zealots. Uh, zeal, like you can kind of imagine. Well, these guys were all, they were the extremists. They were the guys who were uh, going to fight back by force. Uh, they were actually uh, worked to undermine Roman uh, influence. And when it came to sinners, uh, the zealots' attitude was destroy the sinner. That's how they approached people who were pagan. And, and, and so like, just, just take them out. Uh, the second group were the Essenes. The Essenes, they just left Palestine, went out to where no one else would live out in the desert, and uh, they were just trying to separate themselves from anything pagan. And so the way they thought about sinners was just avoid the sinners. Just don't get dirty, you know, like, we'll stay over here, you all stay over there, we'll live our little lives over here, and you just do whatever over there. And that was the Essenes' approach. Then there's the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they're the ones who are the elitists. They're the ones who are controlling a lot of the uh, public affairs that the Jewish state had with the Roman uh, occupation. And, and so um, their approach uh, to this hanging out with sinners was, let's try to get along. So they're not going to confront the Roman empire about anything. They're just going to try to get along with the sinners. And uh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to bring up anything that uh, that we shouldn't talk about. You know, we don't talk about these things at the dinner table. So, you know, that's, that's how they approached it. And then there's the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they're the working man's uh, group uh, of the Jews. They're they're the uh, people who are the pious, very uh, obedient to the law. And uh, they're, they're, they're trying, you know, they're, they're the popular party, if you will. And, and their approach to sinners was, let's guilt people into doing the right thing. Let's make them feel guilty about everything that they're doing wrong. And, uh, and, and that was their approach uh, to sinners. That, and so they all had assumptions, you see. They all had assumptions about what God thought of, the, uh, of sinners and how they were to respond to people who were pagan and profane. Now, did you find yourself in any one of these categories? I, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, although it would be fascinating to see where you put yourself. And some of you are thinking, I, I'm not any of those. I, I don't fit in any of those categories. Well, I've got one more And let's see if you fit in this one. Sinners! Ah, there you are. Yeah, there you are. All right, now all the hands can go up. And we can... Aren't you glad you came? Uh, The preacher called you a sinner today. Well, I call myself one too. And and so we all fit this category, right? And, And so this category was an official word in first century Judaism. It set out a class of people... You didn't eat with them, you didn't talk with them, you know, you didn't hang out with them. They were just, they were this corrupt bunch. And so uh, Jesus is, has this audience throughout the Gospels around him at one point in time. Now that you know the audience and how they view God and how they view sinners and maybe even get an inkling to how they view themselves, now let's read Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99, in open country, to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So this is a little bit of sarcasm at the end of this first parable, right? Where Jesus knows everyone needs to repent, but the Pharisees he, he are essentially in this you know this, this ninety nine, and it's ridiculous to think that a uh, a shepherd would leave the big herd and go find the one knucklehead sheep. But Jesus is, is, is making a point with this 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 parable that has this hyperbole in it that 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 that, that there is this shepherd who values the one right now. There's a couple assumptions here that Jesus is busting up, and one of them for the Pharisees is that they viewed sin as doing the wrong thing. Some of you might view sin as doing the wrong thing, but essentially sin is running away from God. In Romans, uh, Paul the apostle writes in Romans 3 that uh, no one, no one is, seeks after God. No one, all of us, have had those moments or decades or years or moments that that we have vacated away from God. And then in Isaiah, uh, we read about this, that uh, all all of us like sheep have gone astray. Maybe you've heard that. And so uh, the essence of sin uh, is to run from God. And then in our distance from God is where we get into making decisions that have consequences that are negative in our life. And so whenever you find sin in your life, you can find yourself, there's some point in time that you either left God or maybe you weren't even there with God at some point in time. But, but there's a distance. And so Jesus is breaking down one assumption of what sin is. But the bigger assumption is that God doesn't care about the one knucklehead sheep. Now, the metaphor of sheep as it relates to God's people is not very complimentary. Have you ever hung around sheep? They are defenseless, they are kind of stupid, they don't smell so good, and they get into all kinds of trouble uh, just by not paying attention. Uh, And so this first point is this, that Jesus and his followers are on a mission to find those who are lost through disregard. Disregard to what? Disregard to the shepherd's voice, the shepherd's leading. Uh, they're, they're They're not staying with the flock. And so sheep, as I mentioned, like they can wander off and find themselves vulnerable to the attack of a coyote or a wolf, right? And, or, or they can wander off a cliff or they'll, sometimes they will eat poisonous uh, 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 things that, in the ground that they find that will actually harm them because they don't know better. Now one point I want us to see right here is they have left the flock. They've left the group where the shepherd was. And so one thing that we do here at Cornerstone is we keep just lifting up how important small group community is into, in, in our lives. Because when we're in some type of small group community, we are belonging to people, and that helps us make decisions. It helps us when we're discouraged. It helps us when we're uh, facing a big uh, difficulty, and like we need help and guidance and encouragement. And so, so when we wander off and we think that we can live this Christian life in isolation and we don't you know, Sunday morning is all I need. I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for trouble. All of us need someone speaking into our life. All of us need somebody who looks and talks like Jesus in the the flesh. Like, we need that person to, to talk to us. And sometimes we become that person for another who's struggling. And so, this is what I'm saying. Like, we all need community. And when we wander off in isolation... Uh, because we disregarding the teachings of Scripture, the teachings of the preacher, we're, we're putting ourselves in peril. But there are at least 27 one-anothers in the New Testament. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, don't forsake the coming together. You know, like, there are all these one-anothers. Why? Because God created a community that brings salvation and that's called the church. And so as we come together and we build relationships, and these rows of chairs become circles, there is this, there's this connectivity that brings life. And when we separate ourselves and we're isolated in, in whatever trouble we're in, it, it just spirals out of control. And so that's one part that we should learn about this parable. But But here's one thing that that I I just want to emphasize. The bigger teaching of this first parable is this. God loves the one. He loves the one sheep. And no shepherd would leave the 99. And no shepherd would call the village in to say, Hey, let's celebrate. I found that one knucklehead sheep. Right? They wouldn't do that. You farmers who have cattle don't do that. You don't call the whole church up and say, I got that one cow out of the road, got him back in the pen. You don't do that. They didn't do that either. And that's the purpose of this hyperbole is to say, look, that's how much God loves one sinner. And all heaven rejoices when one single person responds to the gospel. That's how much God loves you. I hope you understand. One of the lies that people believe is like, God could never love me. That is a lie straight from hell and doesn't belong in any person's mind. No matter what you've done or where you've been, God loves the knucklehead sheep. Because I is one. Right? All right. Second parable. Or suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this is a lot like the first parable that we just read, that it would be un. It would be unordinary. It would be something that a person wouldn't do that they found one little drachma, which is might have been a day's wage for a poor person, but a very small amount, not a huge amount. No one would call a big party together. It costs you more to have the party than to like the one coin. Like who does that? God does that because he cares about every person, the one, the one person who's and, and what, I, what I want to talk about is in this parable, another way to, another truth is, is like people are lost through careless choices. Jesus and his followers are seeking the loss through careless choices. Sometimes it's not an intentional move to walk away from God. It's just a careless choice. Like careless choice of time a careless choice of your finances, a careless choice of, uh, of, uh, of the company you hang around with or whatever. I mean, it's just a careless choice. It's like you, weren't a, you, weren't, you didn't plan on being this far from God. You didn't plan on finding yourself in this position. It's just, it's just kind of a, you know, I, I just got careless. And, and so we're like that. We're, we can be like that lost coin, like we're just lost through careless. I'm not putting this on God. I'm saying like that's somehow, that's some, 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 sometimes the way we walk away from God is just, foolhardy decisions we have a student and children's minister here at cornerstone that's constantly trying to lay down the foundation of what it means to make choices that reflect god's will in a student's life it's a very like i walked back to i i walked in the church this morning i was turning on the lights and i walked back to kingdom kids and i saw what michelle had set up and i was like i don't want to be a kid again I want to be in this room, like I remember the room that I was in. It was the basement. it was dark, there was green stuff on the wall, and you know the teacher was like like- like moses' sister and i I you know i I'm thinking to myself, what a this is what you're supporting this is what you're praying for this is why you're bringing your kids I mean it's important that they have a foundation to make decisions in life, and it is one of the most important things that you do is to partner with the church in helping to train up your children in the ways of the Lord so that they might find eternal life. That is a really big thing. Like, they may not get an A in math, but if they know how to follow Jesus, whoo, you win. They win. All right, so anyway, uh, but... The bigger point of this parable, like this is a sub-point, so the bigger point is that God searches for the one that's fallen down into the debris, that's fallen down into the dirt. A friend of mine, she was going on this really epic skiing trip in Switzerland, and uh, it was a big trip, had planned for it, saved a lot of money. And uh, there was this real high mountain that was like the big thing of the trip, right, to ski down this big, majestic mountain in the Alps. Uh, to get to the top of the mountain, you had to get in a snowcat, and they took you way up there. And there were no, there were no like, lodge up there because it was so high up. Uh, there were no facilities except for two Johnny houses. That was it. Get to the top of the mountain. If you have to go to the bathroom, there it is. That, there's no, like, going in a little lodgy place by the fire and getting a cup of, you know, Swiss mocha. That ain't going to happen. And so <clears throat> they get up to the top of the mountain, and she has to go to the bathroom. And she's like, I'm not going to make this one-hour ski trip. That's how long? One hour to get to the bottom. Like, I'm not going to make it. So she goes into the Johnny house and uh, disrobes what she has to to use the facilities. And while she's robing back up, Her goggles fall off her head into the Johnny house. It's an hour down in zero temperature. There is no way you can ski down that mountain without those goggles. There is no ski shop to walk in and get a new pair of goggles. She had one choice. She had to reach down. (laughs) I love the kids. She had to reach down and pick those goggles up and do her best to clean them off and then put them on her face. So heaven is a place of no death, no tears. God's presence is a place of no unrighteousness. It's pristine and pure. Compare that to our world. It's like what's in that Johnny house. And Jesus stepped out of heaven. And he reached down into the slime of our world. Because he cares for the one. What a God! What a story, what a parable. God values every person, no matter how small. And He's willing to step into the... Could you imagine? Never knowing any sin, never being around anything filthy, never no death, and you step into this world and you're like, I mean, we know because we, you know, if you like me, you watch the morning news, drink a cup of coffee, and you're like, why did I watch the news, right? Last parable. <clears throat> oh, I want to talk about this. I almost forgot this. If you lose something valuable, you never stop looking for it. If you lose something valuable, you never stop looking for it. I have given up on people at times in my life that I was hoping would come to know Jesus. I gave up on myself, actually, to start with. But you know what? God keeps seeking until He finds it because every person is of supreme value to Him because every person has His image stamped on their soul. Every person. You never stop looking for something that's valuable. You're always on the hunt for it. Now the last parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The young one said to the father, Father, give me the share of my estate. Hey, dad, up yours. I wish you were dead. I want my stuff. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, The younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Um, so he came, when he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field. And while he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And the father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Now, if you've come to church any length of time at all, you've probably heard this parable either preached on or referenced. And I wondered if I should read the entire passage again, but I said, I love this parable. I can't read it enough. I could read it every day. Like it's just, it, it is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. It is so fantastic of a story that there would be this God who would love us so much. And so. This this group around Jesus are sinners, but off to the side are the Pharisees that are muttering who are like pushing back on Jesus, eating with sinners and fellowshipping with people who are distant from God, that class of people that no one has anything to do with. And so in this parable, Jesus says, God loves the rebellious one. Now, this man had two sons, but both at a point in time, are alienated from the Father. Both are alienated. One is alienated because of rebellious choices. And I I bet every hand could go up. I'm not going to ask you to raise it, but every hand could go up when you made rebellious choices and knew you were distant from God. But the other is alienated from God, from the Father, because of His good works. Good works condemn us As quick as bad choices. Why? Because we begin to think God will accept us if I'm just good enough. If I just get it all right. It's good to do good things, but don't do them because you're trying to get God to accept you. He accepts you not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus did. And that's why we're accepted. And so our obedience is driven out of just a love and a desire to honor God. Not to make him accept us. And so, so both, of these, both of these sons... So you can get it. If, if you know the Bible, you know that the Pharisees are represented in the older son. And Jesus has just wrecked their assumptions about why God accepts them. And the, and the prodigals, the sinners around Jesus, Jesus has just wrecked their assumptions that there is some sin that we can do that God's grace can overcome. How prideful we are about our sin. Well, I've done something that God can never forgive me. Really? You human outdid God's grace? Forget it. That's ridiculous. Jesus is saying there is no amount of sin. And this, what this prodigal did was awful. He flipped the bird to his dad. He spent this inheritance in a distant country. He comes back and, and he's groveling, right? And the father's like... No, we're going to kill the calf. We save for Passover. We're going to put get the signet ring. He's a full-fledged son. He's not a half you know a halfway back. He's full back. He's he's all in the father's house. And so these two sons, both of them are alienated from the father. But the shocker is the selfish, rebellious son comes into the house, and the do-gooder son stays out. Talk about wrecking assumptions. Talk about blowing up somebody's view of God and themselves. If this parable doesn't do it, there is none that will. When this guy had his aha moment, he's like, maybe I I can become a servant. And God's like, oh, no. You're going to be all in the Father's house. And so Jesus and his followers are patiently looking for the rebellious to come home. And I can't think of any better picture of rebellion than what this son, this prodigal son, did to his father. Now, here's here's what we have to be careful of. One, we give up on people. Have you ever given up on someone? I have. I've given up on the rebellious person. You know, but God doesn't. That's the point of the parable. He's patiently waiting. He's coming to the hillside every morning and he's waiting for his son to return. That's good news. If you feel distant from God, know this. He is looking for you to come home. Woo! And there's another part of this parable that we all, all us do or Christians have to be careful of to think that God will accept us because we get it right. You're accepted because Jesus got it right, okay? Now, I'm just saying that that all of us, all of us are in the need of bowing before the Lord and asking for salvation, asking to receive His Spirit, asking for forgiveness of sins, all of us, all of us. And as I said last week, it's about like repenting every day. Hey, Joe, what are you doing this morning? I'm getting up and having coffee and repenting. If you didn't watch that sermon, you ought to go back and watch it. But... But all of us need to understand that there is no amount of sin in our life that cannot be met by God's grace. God's grace is sufficient. Sufficient. <clears throat> so Jesus, here's the moral of the story, right? Jesus and his followers are seeking and saving the lost one. This is the heartbeat of the kingdom. This is the heartbeat of Cornerstone. If you thought coming to this church was about like getting your God fixed and looking good and going home and feeling better about yourself, please wake up. It is about joining into this mission. It's about taking the gospel to people who either have rejected it or don't understand it or just because they they, they have rebelled against it. It's, that's what it's about. I don't know if you've seen the movie but Hacksaw Ridge about Desmond Doss from West Virginia. He signs up uh, to join the army. And uh, in doing so, he has these deep religious convictions that uh, bring a quite a of co- consequences against him. He wouldn't carry a firearm into battle. But he stays in the army. And, and if, you know the, uh, if you've seen the movie or know the story... At one point in World War II, he finds himself on a battlefield on the island of Iwo Jima. And and, uh, during that battle, uh, he rescues 75 men from the battlefield. Because of his heroic efforts to save these men's lives, he's awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor by Harry Truman. When he comes to the White House and Harry Truman is pinning that on his chest, he says to the president, he says, I just kept praying to the Lord, help me save one more. Is that how you feel when you wake up? Help me save one more. I mean, that's what we're here for. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to make you a better person. He came to wreck your world and build a world in His kingdom. Wreck what you think about money. Wreck what you think about what it means to be a a moral person. He came to like, can you understand what it means to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? And so he's come to rescue every single person, no matter what they've done or what they think they are. Our identity is found in these parables to be so deeply loved by a God who can't stand to be without us. Who'll leave the herd to go find the one. Who'll reach down into the slime pit of this world and reach down and get the one. Who will accept the one back who's been rebellious and angry. The gospel is this. That the righteousness of Jesus is accredited to our life. Which pays for the debt of sin that we owe God. And by faithful obedience, we receive eternal life. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you have the heartbeat of Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, I just ask you to work within our lives. And so there may be someone here today or someone who's listening in who seem so far from God because of choices they made. I'm telling you, Father, would you just speak into their heart and know that they could find forgiveness. And Father, for all of us who know you and are in your house, help us to stay on mission to rescue the one. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.